The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everyone. And thank you once again for listening to the saga of World War II, a Cassus Belly project. My guest today is David Milne, senior designer at Relic Entertainment for single-player mission content. Today we'll be talking about the recent release of Company of Heroes 3, published by Sega and developed by Relic Entertainment. Company of Heroes 3 is the third installment in the Company of Heroes franchise, a World War II real-time strategy game that puts you in command of a company of soldiers in some of the most famous battles of the Second World War. Company of Heroes 3 focuses on the Italian and North African campaigns, and builds on previous iterations of the game by adding a campaign mode in addition to the standard tactical RTS battles. If you are anything like me and enjoy gaming almost as much as you do history, I think you'll really appreciate our discussion. If you are interested in purchasing the game for the PC, you can find it on Steam or follow the links from the Cassis Belly website at cassisbellypodcast.com slash worldwar2 with the number 2. Just find the blog post for Appendix I, Part 1. After you've listened to the interview, I've also prepared an accompanying biography of Tom Derrick, VC, in Appendix I, Part 2. Anyway, let's begin the interview. My guest today is uh, David Milne. He's a senior designer at Relic Entertainment and was on the development team for Company of Heroes 3. Uh, David, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, so to get started, can you just give me your... Uh, 30 second elevator for pitch for what Company of Heroes is and what the game is about. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Company of Heroes 3 is uh, the third installment in an RTS franchise uh, about World War II. So, um, this game takes place uh, in the Mediterranean theater. Uh, so, we have one campaign that focuses on the uh, Deutsches Afrika Corps. Uh, fighting their way through North Africa, uh, and then our bigger campaign is based on the Allies starting, you know, at the in the toe, I guess you should you could say of Italy, and and working their way up to Rome. Sounds great. So um, I guess before we really get into what the game's about, can you tell me what your role is at Relic and what part you played in actually developing the game? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a mission designer. So what I work on specifically is the single-player mission content or the levels in the game. That means um, uh, working on the paper plans, uh, the layouts, the scripting, uh, basically creating the mission from from conception all the way to the final thing that you end up seeing in the game, Uh, which itself uh, involves a lot of uh, historical research, looking at layouts, trying to find ways to you know, accurately represent the history of these battles in, in the missions themselves. Yeah. So actually I understand you have a history degree. Um, how did that, uh, (laughs) how did you take that and parlay it into being a developer at a, at a game studio? Uh, it certainly helps with the, uh, the research process (laughs) and, uh, you know, being able to, uh, being able to, practice that discipline which admittedly i i haven't for a long time you know i've, I've been in the games industry for a while and um 
So the history degree is a little bit old at this point, but uh, those those research skills definitely uh, came came in handy and and came back to me a little bit while I was uh, while I was working on this project. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've always had a, a, a fascination with history and an interest in history. It's kind of it's gone back and forth, honestly. When I was younger, I think it was it was games like Company of Heroes One or Age of Empires, even Assassin's Creed that, you know, got me interested in history and sort of directed me into getting that degree when I went to school. But then uh, it kind of went the other way. And I went to uh, a, a game design school after that and got into the games industry. And now here I am doing history and video games all at the same time. So it's it's all my interests are kind of coinciding on this project right now. That's awesome, and based on the the games you listed, like Age of Empires and Assassin's Creed, we were probably growing up in the same uh, gaming environment. But um, yeah. I guess how uh, so having that history degree, how does that uh, influence the the design philosophy going into creating uh, the third installment of uh, Company of Heroes? And how do you how do you go about representing that that time period and those sorts of campaigns that you depict in the game? Absolutely. So one of the things that we really try to focus on early is i mean one picking picking battles that we feel are you know kind of u- unique and and interesting and and so one of the things that we we focus on early is like you said that history and trying to dive into uh the events as they happened and one of the challenges we have is how to represent that history in the game or in the mission um for example, you know, a, a lot of our missions are on average 45 minutes to an hour long. Um, basically, every single one of these battles lasted longer than 45 minutes. So uh, a lot of what we have to do is find, uh, look into the into the history of the battle and pick out the things that kind of define it almost. And what like what are the essentials of this battle and and work on representing that in the mission. Okay, yeah. So I think you're kind of leading into another question I had, which was, so the two campaigns that you focus on in the game are the North Africa campaign and the uh, and the Italian campaign, which, from my perspective, we've covered both of those campaigns in the show already for the most part. Um, and the North African campaign is defined by its very armor-heavy, lots of big fl- tank flanking maneuvers and endless desert, whereas the Italian campaign is a much more claustrophobic campaign. It's hills, it's little ravines, it's, you, there's nowhere to maneuver tanks, you know. Um, it's very infantry and artillery focused. So how is that, was that a deliberate choice to have, like, these very, dis, you know, geographically co-located almost, but conceptually very different types of campaigns? So that was something that we actually uh, asked our players about a long, long time ago. You know, what what would what would they like to see after Company of Heroes two? And we kind of pulled them, and and uh, the Mediterranean theater is what they landed on. And one of the reasons why we wanted to do both campaigns, you know, in North Africa and Italy rather than one is. Um, first, like you say, they do provide different gameplay opportunities, both. Uh, both narratively uh, and gameplay-wise. The North African campaign, if you play our missions, they are typically very heavy. The Deutsche Afrika Corps, as we we represented in the game, has tons of early tanks, lots of light vehicles. They're very fast. They're very mobile. They can 
use uh, half tracks to tow weapons, so they're they're able to really move around a lot. And then we have maps that sort of match that. So maps like uh, uh, Gazala, and we have battles at Tobruk and El Alamein. You know, as uh, as maps, they are these open deserts that are broken up by some geographic formations, but honestly are more broken up by British trench lines than they are by anything natural. Um, and so it's about being able to maneuver, uh, find angles of attack on these uh, defenses and, and battle your way through that way. And then, as you again, as you say, in the Italian campaign, in the Italian maps, uh, there are a lot of more hills and ravines, and it is a bit more closer combat in, in some cases. And uh, rivers, like lots of choke points around bridgeheads and, and things that you need to battle through. And so we have a, a new mechanic uh, that is our height gameplay. So height actually gives you an advantage in this game uh, in in a way that it didn't in previous games. You know, units that are in cover uh, will lose their cover bonus if an enemy is ta- attacking them from above effectively. And so controlling high ground uh, becomes a real important thing in in these missions. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and that's you know, Company of Heroes has always been sort of about that very granular tactical level of using cover and moving around. So you're, I guess, adding a, a third dimension of not only breadth and width but also height to the to the battlefield. So I guess my next question would be in Purdue creating these uh these missions you know whether it's in the north african campaign or in in the italian theater what is your philosophy going into it and then how what research goes into creating that so you know you've got to create unit models you've got to actually do the i guess the individual level design you might call it but then also uh company of heroes 3 adds another campaign layer on top of the the classic rts layer so i guess what from the very low level nuts and bolts, uh, what the, sometimes people sometimes call rivet counting, up to the the grand, almost grand strategy layer. Uh, how do you how do you approach that? Would be my question. Uh, yeah, how, how we approach that? It's that a, might be a, a very broad question. question. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> but it, it honestly, it, it ends up being kind of the same way at every level, which is that we're we're going through we're doing that historical research in terms of uh the units themselves it's a lot of uh it's a lot of imagery a lot of visual research right to make sure that we're recreating those units uh as accurately as possible um if you look at the you know the reference folders that the artists have it's just full of images from from the time um and then they take that and, and use that to create, you know, we, we have concept artists that take all that information and try to create a, a single cohesive unit or representation of that unit uh, uh, before they go in and, and build that in the game. When it comes to, then I guess, the missions, uh, I, I kind of touched on this before, but it's about taking that historical research, um, which includes uh, books, documentaries there's a period of time where my job was just watching documentaries it was wonderful um and uh even finding things like uh, aerial photography uh to look at the layouts of these of these areas and uh really make sure that we're trying to represent the layout in an accurate way and then you you take what happened and you try to boil it down into just 
I think I was saying this before, but the essentials. Like, what are the yeah. what are the kind of top three points that represent this battle? Because, for instance, there is the battle of Anzio in our game, like the invasion that the Allies um, were involved with there. And, and I mean, that was a conflict that lasted months. It was January to like May or something like that. I, yeah. I think off the top of my head. Um, but we have to represent that in in forty five minutes to an hour. So what what are the kind of the to, to me what we're doing is okay. What are the things that make you think of Anzio? What are what are the things we can have in that forty five minute mission where you'll say, ah, yes, I recognize this as Anzio. So one of the first things you do in the mission is you are you're on the beach and you are having to defend it. You're trying to mm-hmm. defend this beachhead while being hit by artillery because that was a big part of that. This this siege mentality of being stuck in this on this beachhead and not being able to break out and having to just take, you know, days and weeks of of artillery strikes. And then eventually once you kind of get through that including a uh, a railway gun that we've that we refer to as Anzio Annie, kind of like the Allies did. Um, And then you break through those lines and actually break out, and it turns into a bit more of a running battle. And so so even though the moment-to-moment gameplay isn't going to be the exact, you know, moment-to-moment history that happened, it is an accurate representation of, I guess, the 45-minute version of the Battle of Anzio. And so that's kind of how we try to try to approach that um and then on the grand strategy layer the one that can the layer that connects those missions together um that is where it can get a little bit more ahistorical because we give the player a lot of choice and a lot of agency and so we set up the map to be as authentic as we can we have the defensive line the volturno line and the the winter line and we have the missions located at historically accurate locations and and we try to have that be accurate but once the player gets there they make the choice of where they attack with what companies they attack um so they have a choice of british companies and they can use british units they can use american units uh, and within both of those factions there are you know the americans have an an armored company and a special forces company and a paratrooper company um so there's a battle at Ortona, but it the player has the choice of taking Ortona with an American paratrooper company, right? So you right. you because we give the player that agency, there is certainly ahistorical things that can happen. But the way that that campaign layer plays out is it's more of a uh, it's kind of playing on that wargaming idea of what if like what if i was the commander what if i was here here's the scenario now you make the choices and you see how you do and 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 where you end up going with it so the player could play it out you know fairly historically accurately if they choose to uh but it's it's up to them to see how they want to play that out yeah and that's a new uh aspect to the company heroes franchise it's not just the Mm -hmm the RTS battles, but also the, the campaign map, which I'm sure um, a lot of my listeners are familiar with the sort of the other side of video wargaming, I guess you'd call it, of the, the grand strategy games where you're, you get the scenario, but then it's kind of up to you to drive the history. But, um, yeah. and it, but you also mentioned the, uh, so it's called Company of Heroes because the game is sort of built around the idea that you've got these companies um, that, you know, and you mentioned it, 
I think you can play with, you know, there's the British, the Americans, the the Germans, and each have different types of companies. Like the Indian Army is represented, um, and they yeah. they all have different strengths or weaknesses or things they're kind of built to to work toward. Um, I guess could you expand on that a little bit? How the the building the companies is an aspect of gameplay? Yeah, absolutely. So um, each each faction. So there there's four factions uh, that we've launched with there's uh the american force the u.s forces uh the commonwealth so british commonwealth uh the north african so deutsches africa corps and then the wehrmacht so there's there's kind of two german factions one is the the wehrmacht in in italy and one is the north africa corps so each of those factions has a base faction um, something that no matter what they always have access to. So for the Americans, for instance, you can build uh, riflemen. Your basic squad is the rifleman squad uh, that you can upgrade with BARs and they have grenades and they're sort of your mainline infantry unit. And you have you can build um, you know mortar squads and a uh, heavy machine gun squad and and uh, uh, Hellcats and Shermans. You know, so you you have kind of these base factions and and same with all the other ones the british have tommies and uh, infantry sections i mean and and hmg sections and and are able to build uh uh grant tanks and matildas and and that sort of a thing so they all have this base faction that they can work with but then on top of that you can modify that faction by choosing a specific thing to specialize in and that's what the company is uh so for the british one of the uh, companies that we have is the Indian Artillery Company. So you have all those base units, but then you can also bring in, uh, instead of bringing in the regular 2-inch mortar, you can bring in the heavy 4.2-inch mortar. And it gives your sappers the ability to build a uh, BL 5.5 artillery emplacement, so a, a big, giant artillery piece, uh, as well as call in uh, the, uh, the Gurkhas, who are a kind of heavy assault infantry unit. They're all equipped with Thompsons and they have assault grenades and smoke grenades and so they're very good at getting in close and, and assaulting. And so uh, that's that's a it gives you a lot of utility and kind of changes the way that you play by how you add on to that base faction. That's actually how we're adding a lot of our uh, Italian units as well to the to the DAC. So two of the battle groups or two of the companies i mean for for the dac are focused on the italians the ability you gain the ability to call in uh the bersaglieri italian uh infantry mm-hmm. and call in uh italian tanks like the semavente and so that's how you're you're adding to and kind of augmenting that base faction is by adding these companies so you're able to customize, I guess you could say, the type of company you want to bring into the individual RTS layer. And then I assume that the type of battle you expect to get into, whether that's a very uh, claustrophobic, tight in the Italian hills or something more open um, in, in North Africa, influences if you think you're going to do a lot of... Uh, if you have a lot of ground to cover, I guess you could say, in the desert, you might want some tanks. If you're going to be assaulting a, a fortified position, something like Monte Casino or something, you're going to want a lot of artillery or a lot of uh, indirect fire support, I guess you could say, to reduce yeah. that position and uh, and assault it with uh, with light infantry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and that's how it works in single player. In multiplayer, uh, we have those companies as well. And so... 
one of the things that you do with them in that case is you can either, you, well, you can make the choice in the match itself. So you go in with the faction, and then once the game has started and you're playing against each other, that's when you make the choice of what company you're going to be. So you can kind of do that in two ways. You can either have a plan in mind already, and and you choose your your, your company almost immediately, and you start working up uh, to unlocking those extra things. Or you could wait to see what your enemy or your opponent chooses and see if you can choose... Um, a company that maybe gives you an edge against them. Okay. So there, there's kind of there's kind of a, a picking counter picking aspect to the companies as well when it comes into the multiplayer faction, yeah. or aspect of it. So uh, something else I wanted to get into, not necessarily completely focused at the the historical aspect, but more just the game design aspect is I think there's a couple different philosophies maybe in game design of how you make a game interesting. Typically it's either the, you're playing a game because you want to create a story, right? To generate a narrative or and, and or I guess you could say it's to, to present the player with interesting choices. Um, and in the case of a historical game, just a sandbox. People who are interested in you know, the these campaigns are in are really into the the Deutsches Africa Corps just want to play with the pieces um like you know in the toy box how do you as a developer have a an opinion on that or or kind of with, obviously with a uh, campaign mode you're telling you're literally telling a story but also in each individual RTS belt you are also there's can be an emergent narrative there where the player as they go through ends up telling themselves a story um like i said what do you as a game developer have or designer have have ideas or opinions on that? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's something that we try to we try to balance um, and we're all because we have we have a story to tell um, and certainly in each of these uh, both on the you know the grand strategy layer and then in the mission itself there there is a there is a narrative there is a story that's being told. Um, but we don't want to limit the player either, you know, into, okay, you have to follow my exact narrative beats. We want the player to be able to kind of discover that themselves and uh, have agency in the choices that they make. So at, at the grand strategy layer, there is there is a lot of choice. Um, and not only that, there are, there are many storylines on that campaign map, which the player may or may not end up in gauging or encountering based on the choices that they make. So you could play through our campaign twice and have different sets of narratives kind of come up for you based on the choices that you make and where you go. And so there is always narrative and there's always going to be story there, but we, we leave it up to the player on how and when they engage with that story. Um, and the choice itself becomes really relevant because there are, um, there are characters on this campaign map, there's a there's a, a British general and an American general, and then a uh, a Italian partisan contact, and the decisions that you make on that campaign map will sort of gain you or lose you support from those characters based on the choices you make. For so, for instance, one of the things that you can do on the campaign map at the grand strategy layer, you have airfields and you can build bombers and you have seaports and you can call in uh, battleships and destroyers and something that you can do with those to make it easier to capture cities or to help 
uh, defeat enemy companies that are on the map is you can do bombing runs and uh, or, uh, ship-based bombardments on coastal cities. Um, the the American general is into that because he just wants to get to Rome very quickly. He won't, you know, let's blast through. We gotta we gotta fight our way up here. Yeah. Um, however, the partisan context kind of understandably doesn't like the idea that you're destroying every Italian city that you come up to. And so there is a balance and there is a choice here in in how you want to play through that campaign. And and based on those choices, you'll end up getting kind of different narratives. The the narrative in the missions themselves is a little bit more set. Um, there's just not the time to really have a branching narrative, you know, in in the single mission. But even then, we usually leave it somewhat open. Um, certainly, certainly there are things happening. But like I said, when it comes to these missions, uh, when we built the missions, we don't know from the beginning who the player is going to come in as either in. Uh, as Americans or as the British, mm-hmm. and we don't know what faction they're going to be. So when we design those missions, we design it to be very open in the sense that you can be any of the factions, you can be any of the companies. Basically, you can have any tool set, and we give more objective objectives in terms of like high-level directives, mm-hmm. right? Secure the intersection, capture the courtyard, destroy you know the the emplacements or break through the defensive line or something like that. And then the way that the player does that is entirely up to them. You know, if there's a, if you need to secure the intersection, there's an HMG garrisoned in a building covering that intersection, uh, which is a situation you'll find yourself in, in a lot in Ortona. Um, Whether you use mortars to destroy the building or you call in an airstrike or you uh, use units that have smoke grenades and you, pop smoke so that you can close in very close and actually breach into the garrison. That's actually another new mechanic we have. Infantry can kick open the door and throw a grenade inside to force an enemy out of a building. Um, You know, however you decide to solve that problem is really up to you. And we're giving kind of those just high-level, you know, directives. and, And it's up to you to solve that sort of combat puzzle, I guess. Yeah, and actually, so you speaking to the uh, to that breaching just now actually um, touched on something else that I, that I just remembered about. So the uh, in discussions I've heard about the game and my understanding of the game is that, like you said, the that breaching aspect where, but it's not just you know having some guys run up and throw a grenade, right? It's also you want there's smoke, so you're gonna want to use smoke to uh, obscure the position, and it got me thinking. So um, part of my background is I'm actually in in the army national guard in the u.s i'm an infantry officer i've been to the maneuver captain's career course and you know i feel like i know these things to a certain degree and but what you did is uh you it sounds like you replicated what's called sosra so suppress obscure uh secure reduce and assault are the steps you do in a combined arms breach and it sounds like that that has effectively intentionally or not been replicated in the game is that something that you deliberately tried to do or is that just sort of sort of a, an emergent property in the game um the honest answer is probably a little bit of both but i mean certainly there are there are like right from company of heroes one there are aspects of you know the effect that weapons have that we're trying to replicate 
right? So the idea of line of sight and, and incomplete information, right? That's our fog of war system. You know, you you can't see the whole map at any given time. There There is, you know, your units can only see what they can see. And so things like flares to illuminate areas or smoke to block line of sight, like that's a very important aspect. Um, the idea that uh, machine like heavy machine machine gun teams or machine gun sections can suppress enemy infantry um, uh, rather than just having a bigger gun that is more killy you know it has it has an effect that actually changes the dynamics of how an enemy uh, interacts and when an enemy is suppressed they their range that they can fire is a lot shorter they actually lay down and they can become not just suppressed in terms of having their combat effectiveness reduced, but they can become pinned in mm-hmm. the sense that they can't do anything now and you have to retreat them. So there, there's definitely something that we're trying to replicate in this game of the idea that winning an engagement doesn't mean killing everybody. It's about maneuvering and, and suppressing an enemy closing into um, by either smoke grenades or by flanking um, and then kind of overwhelming an enemy to either uh, eliminate them or force them to retreat is, is absolutely something that we try to replicate because it's those kinds of, of small arms tactics that are, that are interesting, that are, that are something that is, you know, really, really flexing the strategic mind when you're, when you're trying to play the game, and that's, that's where a lot of that fun comes from. I, I mentioned Ortona um, briefly, and, and I found a... We, we do that both in terms of like the, the tools that the player has access to, but also in terms of the challenges that we set the player up against. Um, so, for example, in Ortona, I found uh, this really good description of exactly how the Germans would defend an intersection in Ortona, how they would set up their machine guns and how where they would hide their anti-tank guns and kind of at what angle they would do it and how they would destroy certain aspects of the buildings to block to block one way so that they're, you were funneling things through a certain direction. Um, and I effectively just recreated that in the mission. So when you're fighting in Ortona, you're fighting, you are trying to solve the same problem that the Allies were trying to solve when they were moving through Ortona. And uh, in a lot of ways, you have the same tools. And so uh, it, you we do our best to try to represent those small engagements as, as closely as we can, because it's, it's an interesting problem to, to need to solve. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, when I go into these sorts of games, that's kind of what I'm playing them for. I've obviously have read a great deal about these historical engagements, these problems. And I want to say, Hey, well, if I were in those shoes, how would I have done it? Or at least get something that feels like a, closer experience to what to what their experience was um i do kind of want to shift gears here for a second uh we've been talking very much about this game itself and i kind of want to go back to the i guess more general game uh design uh philosophy i guess you could say in that because so company of heroes is obviously in the uh, real-time strategy RTS space, and specifically the World War II RTS space, which is a little bit of a, a crowded field, I guess you could say. You know, there's also there's there's Men of War, there's uh, Steel Division, um, just to name two. What what do you think sets Company of Heroes apart from them, and or maybe sets it above its competitors? So one thing that sets it apart, I I think I'm probably more familiar with 
Steel Division than Men of War. I haven't played that one much. Steel Division is definitely trying to... I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but what it looks like is uh, it's trying to represent uh, a bit more of a, I would say, a simulation. You know, when you think about the ranges in Steel Division, the ranges are huge, and you're and you're definitely operating more on a definitely higher than company level, really. When you're when you're playing those games, and and uh, units are moving, I suppose they're not moving actually any slower, but they're the spaces are so much larger that they kind of the the decisions that you're making you're making these decisions and you're kind of watching them play out in in real time and some of what you're doing is you're kind of nudging things in in the right direction so it's it's kind of a level up i would say in terms of like the command and control aspect uh from company of heroes i think um and and i and i've seen some other other games that i i feel are kind of in in this the similar zone is that um, something I think that Company of Heroes does really well is that it is a little bit closer to the ground. You're you're more minutely controlling your units. Um, it's you, you know you're not going to end up with controlling you know hundreds of of units at any given time. You're you know on average you can have uh, like a full army would be five to seven infantry, a couple of weapons teams, you know, an HMG or an AT gun, uh, and then you know three or four tanks, that kind of a thing. That's kind of that's kind of the the level that you're operating at, and it's it's the the yeah that sort of small scale infantry tactics that you're controlling that really that I think kind of draws you in a little bit. You get so much character from the infantry right you're hearing them talk that and and we do write full biographies for all of our characters and and voice act them and you can hear their stories if you know okay, you stop and listen that. to them and they're and they're yeah they're, they if you if you kind of listen to all of their voice lines you get a sense of the personality of this person and and they they have a character bio written for them um and and so that we kind of know who they are and and I think that that's one of the things that we really try to do in our game is we try to pull you into that personality into into the making you care about these units uh, we do that both like I said kind of narratively in the sense that uh, they have character and they have personality and you know they they you hear them triumph when they win a fight and, and you hear them get scared or just swear a lot, you know, when artillery hits yeah. nearby or, or something like that. And we do it mechanically as well. You, you can retreat your units out of battle. There's a, there's an aspect of unit preservation uh, that we have in our game that we, we do because we want you to feel attached to these units. You're, you, you need to feel bad when, when you lose a squad or get a squad wipe, which is a, a big deal to completely lose a squad. Um, so I would say that there, in in some ways, when when you think back to Company of Heroes One, it's very much taking a lot of its its tone um, from things like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, and and it's that aspect that we're trying to make sure that we replicate in this. Is it's not just about war games; it's about the people who are fighting the war. Um, and and trying to bring that sense of humanity, I guess, to to these units that you're that you're engaging with, and to these battles that you're fighting. Um, so, in some ways, in some ways, that means there are cases where we stray a little bit away from simulation. Like certainly, when you think about how artillery is represented in our game, 
you know, if you build an artillery piece and, and you can hit something, you know, almost on the other side of the map, I think if you actually measure that, it's probably like 500 meters or something like that, which would be an incredibly short range yeah. artillery strike. <laughs> but, you know, when, when it comes to that scale, there's sort of a there's sort of like a, 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 a rescaling that we have to do to, to operate at, at that level. And so there are in some ways things that we you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little bit in terms of how how certain weapons are used and and the ranges of things and and how they're used but what we get for that i think is is a um a game that is so full of so full of character and so full of life and and can really draw you in and and really uh, kind of engage you emotionally which is which is always i think what our what our goal is when it comes to these games yeah, and I mean, it sounds like you're saying it's just a much more granular level where you, mm-hmm. you know, it's hopefully you're not going to get micro fatigue, is, which sometimes happens with these games that have a little more, a lot more going on on the on the screen at one time. Um, well, so we um, that that's actually something that we talk about is the idea of of, of micro and and how many like actions per minute um, that you're completing and. Something that we, something that's kind of a slogan that's set around the office is that for Company of Heroes, it shouldn't be about. You shouldn't win because you made more decisions. You should win because you made the right decisions, right? When you think about an RTS like StarCraft, not to say that you can't make wrong decisions right. in StarCraft, you definitely can, but um, <laughs> it's it's more about. Uh, like certainly the idea of APM and like the actions per minute that you are completing in in a game like StarCraft, which is like I- extremely intense in in that in that sense. Um, with Company of Heroes, uh, it, you're not have you're not doing that constant clicking and constant, for instance, kiting. If if uh, I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with that kind of aspect of of the constant back and forth mm-hmm. and maneuver of each of your individual units. Um, and it's more about, I need to secure this piece of cover because this piece of cover has lines of sight from it. Um, and, and that's an important decision. Look, controlling locations. And if an enemy controls that location, how do you break them out of it? Um, do you flank them? Do you overwhelm them simply with, with having more units? Can you, do you have to use abilities or like airstrikes or smoke or that sort of thing? It's it's what what tools do I have and what is the tool I bring out to solve this problem, um, rather than than just overall the numbers of decisions that you're making. Okay, yeah, I mean, and I think that sort of design philosophy appeals to me. I'm I'm not uh, uh, <laughs> I don't appreciate having to memorize uh, a bunch of click orders in order to get the optimum build strategy for my base. That's not what I ever came to games for, but, um, <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, you actually mentioned the, the older, uh, the company fears one and, and you mentioned company Heroes two. How, how does company fears three iterate on the previous installments? What's, what's the same, what's changed? Um, and how much of that is, uh, I, you've, mentioned that you took a poll of players to see what theater they thought would be the most interesting. How much of those, it, of that iteration, iterational change is uh, based on that? And how much of it is just where you thought it would be an interesting place to take the game? So, yeah, in, in, in terms of what, what we wanted to keep the same, 
certainly when you get into a mission, that core gameplay, you will, if you're familiar with our past games, that core gameplay is something that you're going to be immediately familiar with. Um, You know, Company of Heroes 1 or 2 or 3, you know, when you think about the the, the basics, the absolute base level what what are you doing in a company of heroes game you know you're you're grabbing a squad of riflemen you're putting them in cover to shoot at an enemy you're throwing a grenade like that sort of grab your infantry get them in cover move them to the next piece of cover move them to the next piece of cover that aspect of of the gameplay that's still there that's that's the company of heroes people know that's the company of heroes people love that's there again a lot of what we've added to and changed have been kind of the systems around that core gameplay that people love. So the dynamic campaign map that we've talked about, that grand strategy layer, that's something that's very new um, to to this game. Uh, we had uh, a mode called Arden Assault in Company of Heroes 2, which was um, about the Battle of the Bulge, um, and kind of had this aspect of, of um, I guess... If you haven't seen it, a, a kind of risk-looking map where you've got the, yeah. the the area broken up into into different zones, and you're kind of choosing where to attack with your with the three companies that you have. Um, but this is this is definitely an evolution of that, where it's much more uh, in the vein of a a grand strategy kind of 4x game where you have you're thinking a lot about not just where you're moving your companies and where you're fighting but the logistics of it you know are you in supply and out of supply you know where you're capturing things so like that is that is definitely a a huge new addition to our game almost a campaign in and of itself just that that whole layer without the missions even is is almost a, a whole new game um and then a lot of what we when it comes to the the companies themselves in in company of heroes 2 we had what were called commanders and that was sort of the way that you modified the the base faction and there was a lot of them i think oh there's a there's a few dozen i think commanders for for at least a couple of the factions um that would have different um give you access to different abilities and and different commanders but it was five five abilities and units uh that it would give you access to and you would just kind of unlock them linearly. One thing that we wanted to do with this game was actually kind of go go back a bit to Company of Heroes One, where each each com- each uh, faction. Sorry, I'm I'm mixing up my nouns now. Um, <laughs> sorry. Where each faction would have a um, a doctrine that you could choose um and and again it would kind of give you a few of these choices so if if you went american armored it would give you uh access to some boosts to your your armored uh units and and that sort of a thing and and we wanted to we wanted to kind of go back to that and then expand upon it for company of heroes 3 so you have choice again when it comes to those so not only do you so when you pick your faction say the americans and then you pick the company you want to use, let's say the airborne, so the paratroopers. Now within that, you have another choice. So there's all kinds of, there's a bunch of abilities and units contained within that company. And there's a, there's a left-hand track and there's a right-hand track. And you can, uh, you have to choose 
which ones you want, which track you want to upgrade first. And then even on those tracks, there are exclusive choices. So, you know, you can have this or that uh, kind of a thing. You can have a recon run or you can have a smoke uh, smoke run from a plane. But okay. you can't have both. You have to choose which one you want to do. And so um, there, there's, there's a lot of, of choice that you're making during the gameplay of what do I need right now? And then it kind of locks you into that choice. So it's like, okay, this is the tool I have, and I have to make sure that I'm using that in a certain way. And so what we've found is that it gives players a ton of options for new and unique builds uh, for each of their factions. You can play the American army very, very, very differently depending on all of these choices that you make. And, and two people could be playing the Americans, but be playing almost different armies, even though some of the units will be the same, right? And so that's something that we really wanted to, to focus in on, was that player choice and, and adding that sort of strategic depth to how, not only what, do, what faction do I choose, but how do I modify that faction to, to make them a fighting force that works for exactly the kind of thing that I want to do right now. Okay, great. Hey, so we've covered basically everything I wanted to uh, to get at specifically. Was there anything that uh, you guys wanted to bring up or uh, or or add? Well, some something that we're that we're working towards that we're pretty excited about is that this game is going to be coming to consoles as well. Um, so, uh, typically, this has been a a PC only. Yeah. Um, uh, franchise, uh, but we're we're going to be bringing Company Heroes Three to console. We've been working with an external team uh, to to help port it over, um, and so I don't know. That's been really exciting for us because there's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot more people that can that can play the game. And, for sure. And there's been a lot of players actually who have been who have who have spoken up and as as pretty excited over that they're like oh now i can sit on my couch and play this great um <laughs> and and that sort of a thing um so which actually kind of leads into one of the one of the new features that we have which is called we're calling tactical pause um and what what it is is in single player you can actually pause the rts game and issue orders to all of your units and then when you unpause, your units will execute all of those orders. So there, you, you can kind of stop the game and assess the tactical situation and then really decide how you're going to approach the problem. It, it kind of almost adds a pseudo-turn-based aspect to, excuse me, uh, to, the, to the RTS layer. Um, which is something that we're developing for PC regardless. Um, it, it's one of the ways we wanted to try to help. Well, there's kind of there's two elements to it. One, we wanted to find, find a way to make RTS games a little bit more approachable to new players. RTS games mm -hmm. do have a pretty steep learning curve sometimes. Yeah, and so they can. When, it, when it comes to that uh, single player, we wanted, to, we wanted to give players you know, the option to, okay, stop this, think about... Think about the strategy. Think about how the units relate to each other, and give give them a, mo a moment to really kind of understand what the rock paper scissors plus 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 relationships of our units are to each other. Um, 
Although I've been playing Coming to Heroes since Coming to Heroes 1, and honestly, I use Tactical Pause a lot too. So <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's something that's kind of existed in other, they call them pausable real-time strategy games for a long time. Yeah. It's just it hasn't been a, a part of the, I guess, standard RTS genre for whatever reason. Yeah, and so so that's something that we, we've added to this, which should be should uh, uh, help out a lot on on console as well. And so that's all of that is something that we're we're pretty excited about coming out here. Okay, great, thanks.